So good to see you guys with us today. Uh, glad you're here. Looking forward to what God's going to do in this time. Um, could genuinely just sense and feel the Lord's presence so strong with us today. And I'm thrilled about that. And I'm thrilled uh, that you're here. Uh, if this is your first uh, time with us, we just uh, want to tell you thank you for joining us and, and just being a part of worship today. And uh, we, we believe this is an, an incredible place to grow in your faith and to connect with the Lord, but also to grow in family and to connect with those around you. Uh, we believe the two are so interlocked and connected, faith and family. And so we're just thankful that you're along. And really from the bottom of our hearts, if this is your first time here, we just want to say, welcome home. We want to say welcome home. We've been on this kind of journey We've just been declaring that, that God's going to bring people home today uh, and this whole year, and so I'm thankful for what he's doing. Uh, earlier this week, I, uh, I put a, a post on Facebook, and I, I should have known what I was doing when I said it, because I, I said, hey, any of you parents out there, um, can you share a little story about just the beauty and the innocence, little cute little quotes that your kids said, and I should have known that I would have gotten an incredible response, because parents love to talk about how cute their kids are, right? So... <laughs> Um, I got tons of responses, and I was like hoping to like share a bunch of those, and, and I'll, I'll just share just a couple um, that were kind of more brief. Some of them were like long paragraphs, and it's just hard to keep up with all the stories. Um, but one, uh, a couple of them that were, were really good, one of them, um, this little boy, I guess um, he was talking to his mom or something about how he'll grow up and have his own family one day, and, and he, he said, uh, Mom, I, I, do I have to get my own family? He said, because I just want to be in our family forever. <laughs> Like, oh, that is the cutest, most innocent, beautiful thing. Probably my favorite one that, that, was, that was posted was a little four-year-old boy. I think his name was Caleb. And he said, mac and cheese is my paradise. And I'm like, I'm like that kid gets it. That kid is a brother from another mother. I'm serious. That was so awesome. Uh, our son Beckett said it one time. Taryn was telling him what, um, you know, uh, about getting married and what getting married was. And, and he said, I just want to marry you, mama. And like, oh. You know, just the cutest, most innocent, beautiful thing. And, and I wasn't really a kid guy before I had kids. And I don't even know that I'm a kid guy now. Like, I like your kids. I just don't know that I love them. Um, <laughs> I love them in the way that Jesus loves them, but not in the way that you love them, of course. So, um, you know, I, but I, I've just grown and grown to be more of a, a, a kid guy and just love children. Because there's such innocence there. There's such... There's such beauty um, in the mouth of a child, out of the mouth of, the, of a child. You know, there's it's beauty in it. I think it, it brings us back to an innocent time. It brings us back to the things that are important in life. You know, these beautifully innocent things that kids will say. Um, and sadly, that doesn't last forever, right? That doesn't last. Some of you that have older kids, like you're already seeing that innocence kind of uh, trickle away, and, and sadly, it doesn't last. And even more sadly, in our generation, it's leaving them faster and faster. We find this really, really beautiful, powerful text in Matthew chapter 18. At the very beginning, um, Jesus' disciples come to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, so who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And like, Jesus didn't say this, but I know he was thinking, well, it's definitely not you. Um, and, and he goes on to tell them, and he brings this child up, and it's this kind of classic scene where he's like, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you've got to become like one of these kids. And so it's this really beautiful passage, and really, God, as I began to look at the context for what I wanted to share this morning, I began to have to unpack all of Matthew chapter 18, because really, uh, there was something that I was drawn to right in the middle 
of Matthew chapter 18. I want to kind of set us up for what it is so that we can get the whole context. And we're going to go through the whole chapter today. I won't take all day, um, but I'll move through it quickly. But I believe there's some really powerful things. Because right there in the middle of this chapter, Matthew chapter 18, um, Jesus kind of shares a story. Like, hey, if if a man has a sheep that wanders off, won't he go and look for the sheep? You know, and, 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 fi- and look to find it. And, and if he finds that sheep, isn't he going to be happier about the one he found than the 99 that stayed? Jesus is kind of setting them up and trying to get their hearts focused on, on really his heart. Because he says, and this is how the Father feels as well. And so that's kind of the, the, the kind of core and the heart of, of what we want to share. Because if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we started this series called Black Sheep. And really this conversation about the church, and really we, we kind of gave a simple de- definition to get the series started. That, that being a part of the church is adoption into the family of God. Adoption. So it's not attendance, it's not just coming, it's not serving, it's not giving. All those things are kind of byproducts of that. But first, it, it is, it's being uh, adopted into the family of God. That's where it first begins. Um, we, we looked at, um, in, in John, it said, I am the gate. Anyone that comes to the Father comes comes through me. So that was the first kind of part of the definition. It's adoption into the family of God, but the second part, it's participation in the mission of God. And, and I think there's a lot of us in the, in the Christian world as a whole that we've got this family thing, we may be connected and we're in the family, right? We've been adopted through Jesus Christ, but this whole participation in the mission of the world, some of us sit in chairs similar to this or we're a part of the church as a whole, for, for years upon years, and we never participate in the mission of God. We never get the second part, and I think that hopefully this message is going to help us unpack that. And, and I don't think it's because we don't want to. I just think that we, we've struggled to understand the how-to and, and the connection there. And so I, I want to give us five keys from the, the Matthew chapter 18 that will unpack how do we live out the mission of God. Five keys to unpacking and living out the, the mission of God in our lives. So we'll begin Matthew chapter 18, and we'll just start up top and kind of work our, our way through. So let's begin with verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, of course, didn't say, not you, but uh, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. It's like the classic Bible story. Jesus sits the child on his leg. And then he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Welcomes me. It's a really beautiful kind of thing. I think the first key that we can unpack from Matthew chapter 18 is that if we're going to walk out this mission, if we're going to participate in the mission of God, we've got to change. We must change. We must change and become like these little children because I, I think we have. We're so desensitized to, and, and we just get jaded. We get super jaded about life and about ministry, and, and sometimes we're overwhelmed by just the whole landscape of pain in the world, right? Is anybody else overwhelmed by just the pain that's in the world and our own life and everybody's life, everybody's world that we're dealing with? We're kind of overwhelmed with that, and I think it starts with just understand that we've got to change, that we've kind of been desensitized or jaded to this place that, man, if we're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to walk in that, we've got to become like these children and have that, that purity of heart, that innocence of mind, becoming more like Jesus. Ultimately, you can throw up kind of the, the, the few things of what that looks like to be like Jesus, to have like this 
childlike faith of belief and purity of heart and to take the lowly position. Um, this kind of idea, he, he says, that you become like lowly, like one of these little kids. We're like, lowly? What's so lowly about the kid? Because really, we live in like a super privileged world with kids. Like, kids have it easy today. Come on, does anybody? Seriously. So easy. And, and, and kids back then, I think nowadays, nowadays we joke with, uh, about I'm having more kids because I need somebody to mow the grass or to do the laundry or something. We joke about that, but like back then, like that's actually why they had kids. <laughs> it's like I really needed somebody to feed the, the cows or, or, or whatever. And so the kids were really viewed more like slaves than they were like, get them to the front of the line, make sure they're eating and not crying. Kids were a lot tougher back then. We got a little bunch of little sissy kids, mine included, <laughs> these days. And so, and the truth of the matter is that we've become like that too. Like, in a lot of ways. Like, and we're, we've kind of been conditioned and desensitized this place. And, and we probably don't even realize how much we've changed. Um, and I think it, it really starts of grabbing a hold of this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. So this idea of change, I think, happens through kind of a renewal of the mind. A renewal of the mind, how do we do that? Well, we, we open the, the word of God and, and we allow God to reveal himself. We allow God to reveal himself through the scriptures and, and have an active prayer life where we're just seeking more revelation about who God is truly in his person. And as we do that, we become more like Jesus and are able to walk in that. So we must change. We've got to realize how desensitized and how much we have actually changed and become like these children and take that lowly position of of service in the, if we're going to live out the mission of God. So that's kind of the first key. We've got to change. Like, we can't stay the same. Like, we've got to continually transform uh, and, and be converted to be more like Jesus in this childlike faith that he's exalting here in front of his disciples. That's probably not the answer they expected. Like, if you come like one of these little servant children... Like, that's not what they were expecting. They were probably hoping their name would be called. Well, you've got to be like John over there. He's doing a great job. So let's go to verse 6. Let's keep reading. But if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, so he kind of defines the little ones he's talking about, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. All right, Jesus, we get it. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they, they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed and crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. Let's read verse 9 and we'll, we'll pause. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Anybody down for that? And throw it away. It, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. I think the, the second key that we can kind of grab from these few verses here, uh, I, I think is we have, to, we have to be on our guard. We have to guard our heart, and we have to guard others. I think that's what this say, he's saying in here, is that not causing others to stumble and, and not allowing ourselves to stumble because when you begin to live out the mission of God and you begin to participate in the mission of God, like there is an attack that happens and like the enemy will do anything to stop that. And, and so we have to be on our guard and guard our hearts and understand that we are changing. We're either changing for the good or the better, you know, and so we have to have a, a real recollection of this 
this change that's happening. There was this old story that got used to get shared all the time, at least in church growing up. And it was about this, it was this idea of this frog that sat in this pot of water and every day the, 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 the temperature just got turned up just a notch. And at first it was just temp, room temperature water, but slowly but surely it, it kind of kept turning up until the frog was boiled to death. And he just never noticed, I know, gruesome, uh, and he never noticed how much the change was happening around him and how it was impacting him and it eventually killed him. We must be on our guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Guard your heart for everything else flows from here. Everything else flows from it. Guard your heart. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I, I think it's just an honest awareness of, of how things are changing around us, how they're impacting us, and, and what's kind of coming out of that. I think that's what's kind of being said here about causing you to stumble uh, I had one spiritual mentor that said, don't let your feet take you anywhere that you can't handle. And I also say that about your mind, is don't allow your mind, I think when we're on our guard, we're constantly aware of where our mind is going. If it's going back to that depressed place that we were once before, before we met Jesus, if it's going back to that insecure place, if it's going back to that place where we start gossiping a lot about other people and are real critical of other people, we got to guard our heart. Because there's a lot, the, the temperature's getting turned up on the outside. If we're not really aware of how it's impacting us, it's going to fry us. It, it might boil us on the inside. And we'll look back and we're like, how in the world did I change in this direction? How did I change like this? I thought I was changing for the better. Above all else, guard your heart. Um, so it's not just a, about guarding our own heart, but it's also about guarding the, the heart of others. Like many times we can get this big idea of what, living on mission for God is, right? Like this idea of, of going to another country and doing it. And, and many times we just miss the fact that it's right in front of us. All day, every day is walking and living in the mission of God. And it, sometimes it's right with the people in front of us. And, and God forbid when we're trying to live out the mission of God in this kind of big hierarchical kind of fancy place, but we're, we're causing people to stumble right in front of us. And so I think guarding our hearts also got to be a guarding and, and aware of the, uh, how we're impacting other people. I think Romans 14 really says this really beautiful. In the conversation that Paul's having with the Roman church about the strong and the weak, those that are stronger in the fake, faith and, and, and those that are a little bit weaker in the faith or younger in the faith, it says be really, basically be really aware of where everybody's at. Throw that up there, Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Jesus was kind of gruesome about this. Like, have a, you ought to just go kill yourself really violently if you're going to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Like, all right, Jesus, we get the point. Like, he was really intense about that. Throw a rock around your neck and, like, who would ever say that to people? <laughs> but Jesus is really intense because he wants us to be really aware of the impact we're having on other people the influence that we carry. So uh, we, first we have to kind of be able to, to be aware of that. And that's something that the Lord's just constantly heightened in me. That that little comment, you know, wasn't meant to kind of tear them down, but man, it brought them into like a, a spin um, cycle and just kind of on a, a constant slippery slope. I, I think the, the story of David, many of you will know about David in the Bible, and the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel is really powerful when it comes to this idea of how we're changing and, and this kind of slippery slope of sin, to use a little alliteration for us today. 
this slippery slope of sin that took place in David's life because he was the king, he was the king of Israel, and uh, it was time to go out to war. Like in the springtime, kings went out to war, not because they had to, but they wanted to go and like rally the troops, say, you're doing a great job, keep on going, it's going to be good. And so that was kind of the king's role. And this particular spring, David was like, you know, I'm supposed to, but I'm just tired. And I'm sure many people other than him, stay home, king, like you you need this, you need this. But he just not, chose not to fill his responsibility. Not really a big deal, except that while that time that he should have been away, he's like, you know, I'm going to go up top. I know there's that girl next door who likes to take a shower on top of her building. I'm going to go check things out. Just make sure she's not out there. I want to make sure she's not out there, right? So he goes up there, and he begins to lust after her. So his laziness turns into lust, and eventually he's like, hey, can you bring that pretty girl over here? I just want to talk to her, of course. just want to talk to her. Brings her over there, uh, or his men bring, them, bring her over to him, and they end up sleeping together. She gets pregnant, and now his, his, his laziness has turned into lust, and now he's got to cover it up, and so he ends up scheming and, and making all these lies, so laziness turned into lust, and lust turned into to lying to cover up the sin. So he brings home her husband to try to get her pregnant, and he was like a good, like a good military man. He's like, no, I'm not going to go in there and sleep with my wife while everybody else is out fighting, right? Like, appreciate somebody that's for the team. You know, he's like, I'm not going to do that. And so David kept trying to get him drunk. And so he just kind of like, all right, you know, just kind of walk into it. And it never happened. And so David had to send him to the front lines, or he didn't have to, but he chose to send him to the front lines because he knew he'd be murdered in battle. So it it all kind of started with this place of, oh, I'm just not going to fulfill my responsibility today. Not this year. I'll do it next go around, right? And this laziness turned into to lust, and this lust turned into a lie, and the lie eventually was, the only way out was to, was to kill somebody, like, <laughs> that went fast, <laughs> that morphed quickly, so we got to guard our heart, because everything else flows from it, let's continue reading um, here, verse 10, we're kind of getting into the core of it, I, you're going to love this, because this blew my mind, see that, that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. Can you go back to verse 10? Always see the face of my Father in heaven. That's just a beautiful picture. Like, I'm a dude, so, I mean, and I don't know if this is a dude thing or if this is just a me thing, but I've never been all about angels or anything. I've never been like, oh, my angels. I've just never, I've just never been like that. And, but I, with this awareness that, that they're present and, like, and with us and, and, and in heaven as well. And, but this is such a beautiful picture for those that believe in him. And these little ones that he said are those that believe in me. So even for us today, in our innocence and faith, like a child, our angels see the face of God. They see the revelation of who God truly is. That's such a beautiful, powerful picture to me. See that you do not despise one of the little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Let's go to verse 11. Sweet. <laughs> that feels like one of those, that seems like one of those media jokes. Is that literally the only thing that's on there? Okay, go, uh, let me read verse 11. Oh, that's because verse 11's n- not in there. Okay, let's go to verse 12. What do you think if a man owns a um, hundred sheep and one of them... Um, wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he, if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep 
than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Again, he's using the reference of sheep, and again, sheep are different from goats, So, and he's also kind of using the kids thing. It's those that believe in him, so anybody that believes in him, he's not willing that any of them should perish. So he's going to continually pursuing and drawing you in. You can't snatch him from his hand. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these should perish. I think this says something about what it means to participate in the mission of God, to walk in that mission of God. And I think it's that we must respond. We must respond. We've got to respond internally and externally. Many of us, when it comes to living out the mission of God, we can respond internally, but we don't respond externally, right? Or we respond externally, and we don't respond internally. And I think the picture that's happening in verse 12 and verse 13 is saying, won't he go? Like if a sheep wanders off, someone that's of the flock, if they want, won't he leave to go find the one? Won't there externally be something that takes place? And won't he be happier about the one that he found than the 99 that stayed? So there's an external and there's an internal response that we have to have when it comes to the mission of God. We've got to externally be willing to go to our neighbor's house and say, hey, we've got to be willing to stop our super busy schedules or what we call a busy schedule in order to, to serve the person in front of us. We, we've got to be able to, to go after the one. We've got to be willing to pick up the phone and call somebody that the Lord's had on our heart for like a week and a half, two weeks, and we're just like, something's not right there, but we just, we're scared to make phone calls. What am I going to say? All this stuff. We don't externally do anything. Internally, oh, I hope they're okay. We don't externally do anything. Won't we go after them? And then uh, on the internal side, it makes me think of uh, the parable of the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15. And it's this beautiful story. I mean, even if you haven't been around church in a long time or ever, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. He, gets, he wants his inheritance early, goes off, blows it. And then finally, after he's looking at pig slop, and he's like, man, that looks good. He's like, I probably need to go home now. <laughs> I think that looks good. And so he, he heads on home, and there's, we always think about the father and the son coming home. And there's, well, I had a, a pastor at one time, and he always kind of talked about this brother. The brother was mad about it. Like, why are you throwing a party for him? And I think when we talk about responding internally, I think we can look at the brother and, and what this pastor used to always say is that sometimes many of us were close enough to hear the party because the, the, the dad throws a party for the son. After he comes back, he's happy that the, the one came home. And he welcomes him. He actually runs out to him. And, and for the, the other brother that he was close enough to hear the music, but he wasn't close enough to dance. And, and that was such a powerful saying sometimes when we're looking out on the, at the outside or even we're participating in just the, the mission of the church and walking that out, that we're close enough to hear and be like, yeah, that's nice. But there's nothing inside of us when someone comes home to the Lord or, or, or that wanders off and comes back. There's nothing that celebrates. We're not close enough to the music to dance. So we've got to respond externally. But we've got to make sure that we're not just doing it, kind of going through the motions. And if we're feeling it on the inside, but we're not walking it on the inside, God wants both. God wants both. Be happier over the one coming home. So I think walking out these keys to, to the, living out the mission of God, of, of guarding our heart and responding and, and, and knowing that we've got to change, we've got to transform, uh, is just three keys. And, and let's kind of unpack the, the other two. Um, now let's continue. Verse 15. 
If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. You guys are going to love this part of the message. Just between the two of you. Uh, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. All right, did I hit you guys? Uh, and if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is a tough <laughs> scripture. Truly, I tell you, whatever you buy, and I want you to notice the context of this verse, because this is like popularly quoted a lot in the church, but I don't think we've ever really grasped a hold that this is right after we're talking about dealing with sin in the church. He's like, let's talk about prayer now. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Uh, I, I think when we kind of begin to wrestle with this scripture of, okay, that sounds really intense. Like, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have like ever genuinely went out and like said, hey, bro, you're sinning. And like, who ever wants to have that conversation? No one ever wants to have that conversation. But that's what the scriptures teach. Most of the time what we do is like, oh, that person's sinning. I hope the pastor knows about it. You know, and like, and then like that, all this giant responsibility of everybody, me doing, doing everything is like, that's kind of what we create this image, as opposed to us actually walking in the fulfillment of what the scriptures tell us to. But let's be real, that's a scary thought. I've been there in a lot of times, um, just having to be honest with people and be real with them and help grow them into the, uh, the image of Christ that we're all called into and be like, hey, that's sin, that's sin. And the only way, and, and I know, and if you've ever been in this place, the only way you can get through that and like kind of even go into it is giant amounts of prayer. Giant amounts of prayer of saying, God, this better be you. You know, you got to do this. I can't do this on my own. It's not just going to happen from my word. It's got to be something that's real and honest and that's going to be life-giving to them. And, and so many times it's either done kind of critically in people's lives. It's not done in love or it's pushed on one person in the church to be sharpening each other. And that's basically what we've been talking about in our anchor groups, this idea of sharpening, at least in the men's portion of it. And so it, it's, I don't think it's an accident or a coincidence that he's talking about bringing it before two or three and then he's talking about prayer between two or three. And, and some of us, are, we're, we're battling through some things in our life and and we're, we're maybe taking it to prayer and like maybe a little, we kind of truck through it all day and then a little lay me down to sleep prayer at the end of the day. And we're not really binding with one another and, and really kind of creating this bridge and, and, and wrapping circles around these things that are really going on in our life. Whether it's sin in the church or whether it's things, things in people's lives or in our own lives. We're not truly, I, I love Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, because it's just this picture of just circling things in our life that we are not going to stop circling until the Lord answers them. And just constantly, and, and this happens, I think if we're going to walk out the mission of God, we've got to pray together. We must pray together. I think it's no coincidence that this is right in the middle of all this text about, this, about the children and, and like becoming like them and, and not causing one another to stumble and going after this one. And, and he's saying that, yeah, but get a hold of this prayer thing. Get a hold of this prayer thing. And, and I'll tell you, just over the past like 
five months, um, my prayer life has been more vibrant than what it has in a, maybe ever. And God's just been burdening that for me, for our church. And just, you, you probably hear me talking about it a lot. And you'll continue to hear me talking about it even more. At the beginning of next year, we're going to start with like uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. God's just let, placed that on my heart. And we got to pray together. we got to pray together. And I think the idea of that, it brings up all these insecurities. I mean, even as I read that, I could feel like, what? I'm like, oh. Just read that scripture, like, what do you mean? It brings up all these insecurities and fears. But you know what? When we're doing things two and three together and binding it together and confessing them together and working together, and it's done prayerfully and spiritually and in love, like, God can do amazing things, and he's saying that right here. And it's all about the mission of God. It's not about mission of ourselves or me going out there and, like, pounding my preferences on somebody. It's not about that. It's about the mission of God and those that are possibly wandering off and fulfilling the mission that he's called us to in this place. we got to pray together. we got to pray together. I want to end by just reading this text. It's a, it's a little bit of a longer passage here that we're going to close out, verses 21. It's, like, through verse 35. And I'm going to read it here, and um, we're going to come back to talk about prayer a little bit. Um, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? How seven sound? That sounds like a complete number, right? Seven's the number of completion. Sounds like a complete number. I'll forgive him seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not, not seven times, but 77 times. Um, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So again, the kingdom of heaven started talking about that, still talking about that, all one big kind of sermon from Jesus to the disciples about what, what it means to do it, and he's telling the story. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. It was a lot of money. <clears throat> Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had to be, had to be sold to repay the debt. That's intense. Don't get behind Um, At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, nothing in comparison to the bags of gold. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, he says the exact same thing, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, we would too be, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus, when he talks about forgiveness, he means it. (laughs) Right? He, He means it. And you may not have like this big harboring kind of thing that you need to forgive somebody. All right? Um, you, you, you may not respond in the way that this servant responded, but I, I think the ultimate heart of what Jesus is trying to say here and, and kind of bring us to 
is that if we're going to live out the mission of God, if we're going to participate in the mission of God, we got to remember how good he's been to us. we got to remember the debt that we had, and we have to remember what he's paid for it. We've got to remember. And maybe just for a moment, if you're in this place and you know Jesus or you've known Jesus a long time, you just need to stop and take a second and just think about how jacked up you were. Think about what kind of debts you owed because if we really honestly are honest with ourselves, honestly honest with ourselves, that's a little bit repetitive. If we're honest with ourselves, what we deserve is hell and, and Jesus has made a way that we might know life and know it to the fullest, not only in this life but beyond it. And we just need to remember, and, and I, think, I think it's so powerful that this chapter is, ends right here because I believe this is where it all begins too. I believe it's a constant kind of cycle of remembering what he did for us and growing to be more like him and continuing to guard our heart and constantly trying to go out and respond to what he's telling us, respond to this great goodness that the Lord has given us and this debt being canceled and learning to pray together, learning to bind these things up together. We've got to remember what he's done for us. We take communion every week, and some of you might look at this as a religious thing, and you might wonder, like, why do we do that every week? Well, Jesus said, do it every time you get together in remembrance, not of your baggage, not of your giant list of debts, right? That's not why we come here is remember how terrible we are, right? We come here to remember how good he is. And to remember what he has done for us. Remember what he did. Remember who he is. And rem- remember that he'll return. He said, remember, I'm with you where two or three are gathered. And he is with us until the end of the age. Our, our mission statement here, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you till the end of the age. It is remembering not just what he did or how terrible we are, but remembering he is with us. So the idea of living out the mission of God, you may not get anything else in this message, but I want you to, to get this. We got to respond, and he wants to do it with us. You're not on an island. You're not on an island to go figure it out, but he's done something for you. He's given you the greatest gift Anyone could ever give. And many times, like, we're super happy about that on the inside, but it never gets outside. For some of us, like, we've, like, we remember that. Like, that's great, and I remember that. But, man, I'm just in this, just in this baggage around my life. And maybe that eye we need to gouge out is that negative Nancy of a best friend we've got. You know what I mean? I'm not saying give up on your friends. But I'm saying we got to cut some things off. we got to find ourselves truly seeing the face of God, just like those angels do. So we got to remember what he's done for us and that he's drawing us in to change and to transform and be sensitive to the things that are happening in our lives. Be sensitive to what the Spirit's trying to do and draw. But we're so busy and we're so caught up in our own stuff and life. God wants to use you. He loves you and he desires to use us as the family of God to carry out the mission of God. It's the last thing Jesus left with his disciples. Go make disciples.
go. And so I want to invite you to stand today, and we're going to close this message in, in kind of a, maybe an unconventional way for many of you. I want to go back to this idea that we must pray together, because I think that's how I, I, I want to close here. Some of you are in the house, and this whole idea of the wandering sheep, the prodigal son, kind of resonates with us because we feel like that's us. Maybe that's always been us. You know, maybe it's, it's always been all of us. Um, but I want us to do, do something. I want us to gather in little groups of two or three, just with the people around you. I want you to just connect with a few people. I'll give you instructions for, for really what I want us to do here. Is I want us to genuinely pray together. Genuinely pray together. Because I believe this room is filled with people that God wants to use to change the city. And maybe it's not change the city, and that sounds super scary, but I, I know that's, that's what God wants us to do. And I truly believe that God wants to, to gather us together and send us out in our weeks to fulfill his mission, to teach people about his goodness and the debt that has been canceled for them, and to watch us transform. And so I want us to, to gather in groups of two or three, and we'll just say, hey, just be honest, kind of go around a quick circle, learn their name, that's always good. And say, hey, I'm, I am that sheep that's wandering, today I'm coming home, like that'd be super to say. Or maybe not, maybe you're home and, and God's just growing you and you're walking through it and today's the time where you've got someone on your heart, you know, you're just turning your attention to someone that's on your heart and say, Pray for fill in the blank or pray for the unspoken person because they're across the room. I don't want them to hear me. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a joke. Um, but say pray for so-and-so because I'm praying they come home. I'm praying they come home. I got a list, a long list in my life of people that I'm praying for come home. And Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And I believe that God wants to use not just us. I believe he wants to use you. And that's scary. That's overwhelming. So I want us to pray together for the strength of God, the spirit of God to lead us, to direct us, to be sensitive of how it's impacting us and walk out and respond to the mission of God. So I want you to find two or three people. If this is uncomfortable for you, just say, I'm uncomfortable, just let you know. <laughs> it's okay. We're super transparent. And just pray together. Will you do that today? Like, we just step out, out of your seats? Find a couple of people. Don't be scared. Find some people around you and let's pray together. Let's pray together. I'm going to stay right here. They're just going to play some music and begin to lead us. Let's pray. Come on, let's find two or three people around you and let's pray together.